Mom, Dad, my teacher told me today in class that the Bible is all nonsense. Was that you when you were in school? It could have been, but probably wasn't, unless you were a student in Tennessee in 1925. Had you have been, you would have caught the attention of farmer John Butler, who also happened to be the head of the World Christian Fundamentals Association. He took pity on the plight of young Christians being fed poisonous lies in, in public school, and he decided to do something about it. He lobbied to the Tennessee state legislators to pass an anti-evolution law, and he won. When the American Civil Liberties Union got wind of it, they immediately financed a test case in court to challenge this new law and got 25-year-old substitute school teacher John Scopes to be their defendant. Now, Scopes couldn't actually remember if he'd ever taught evolution in school or not, but he did admit that he had shown his students Darwin's famous monkey-to-man chart we're all familiar with today. Scopes was arrested and tried in a Tennessee court. The case, known as the Scopes Monkey Trial, was a media circus, unparalleled in its day, and remains among the largest media circuses in America, up there with the Lindbergh baby kidnapping and the OJ trial. Scopes' defense team made the case that the theory of evolution is compatible with the Bible's account of creation, and so there shouldn't be any problem with it. The prosecution maintained the Bible was the foundation of America and therefore should not and cannot be compromised. What this trial revealed, though, was a deep divide in American culture and worldview. You see, a new way of thinking had been sweeping the country. Cultural modernism. With its view that the mysteries and miracles in the Bible could all be explained scientifically and with reason. Christian fundamentalism was the kickback movement against the modernists. At the heart of all this, though, for Christians was the sobering reality that a secular worldview was beginning to put significant pressure on what Christians believe, how they think, and how they live. But you can go back further than 1925 to find instances of this. The Age of Enlightenment in Europe in the 17th and 18th centuries, you know, it produced some pretty good art and literature and music that people still enjoy today. Anyone here listen to Mozart? Okay. But the Enlightenment was the breeding ground for the modernist movement. Going back even further than that, during the time of the Roman Empire, after Jesus ascended into heaven, the Christian letters and the Gospels, you know, our New Testament in the Bible, these were considered seditious literature by the Empire. Talk about pressure. Christians were being fed to the lions in amphitheaters to the roar of cheering crowds just to show them who's boss. Caesar wanted to prevent an uprising against the empire. Because in order to squash an uprising, you need an army. And to raise an army, you need what? Yeah, money and lots of it. Right? Because if you want people to fight for your cause, 
and go to the ends of the earth to slaughter men, women, and children, you got to pay them and pay them well. But we can keep going back in time to find the Bible under pressure by the non-faithful. And by this time, we can see that it's really God who's under attack here, not just His Word. Today, Amos may be famous for his chocolate chip cookies, but the original Amos, the prophet, was famous for his warnings that Israel and Judah would be punished by God for injustice against the poor and worshiping false gods. In verse 10 of our reading from Amos, he says, They hate him who scolds in the gate. And you got to wonder, well, what does that mean? Well, picture Jerusalem back then. You know, it's a big city. It's got a wall around it. There are gates, an east gate, a west gate, a north gate. And smaller cities also had walls around them with gates. The elders of these cities in the ancient world would would hold court in these gates. And the dishonest people, the wicked people, would show up for these trials and make their case And they had deep contempt for anyone who opposed them or tried to expose their dishonesty. You can imagine what these affairs were like, right? Probably a lot of shouting and and, uh, finger pointing and maybe even they, they even came to blows with each other. So Amos is saying the wicked person hates anyone who tries to scold him and despises anyone who speaks the truth. Well, here in Israel at this time, you've got the entire country on a national scale, putting pressure on God when they oppose the, or oppress the poor and worship idols. Of course, we know from the Bible that this is Israel's problem through their whole history, practically. It is the case today that God's word is largely ignored, not believed to be true, and is seen as foolishness. Our biblical views are considered extreme by modernists and secularists. And you go, okay, and so who are those people, right? Well, okay, I mean, those who do not believe and are opposed to what we believe, right? And that's why pressure is being put on what we believe, how we think, and how we live. But consider what Amos says about this in his day. He says, the Lord is his name who makes destruction flash forth against the strong so that destruction comes upon the fortress. See, just as suddenly and powerfully as lightning flashes forth from the sky, God can send destruction against those who oppose Him. I know for some of you, you remember a time when America was more Christian. And Christian values were taught in public school. Well, except in Tennessee. People valued Christian morals and Sunday schools were filled with children and the the churches had lots of people in them. And it doesn't seem that way so much anymore. Even for me, a person who was brought into the church only 25 years ago, I've seen change in our country and our way of life, but the Bible and Christianity and the church have always seemed to be a minority worldview to me. And consider someone even younger. Consider our youth that just came up here to hear a message. 
Consider them living in the society where every message coming from the screen is in conflict with the Bible. That's all they know. They don't, have, they don't have some golden age of Christianity to compare it to. It's normal to them that there's such a disparity of messages and beliefs. As strange as it may sound to some of you, we, are, we Christians are the new extremists. A minority group whose views are seen as radically different from the average view of culture and society. And I think you, you all know this already. It's nothing new. Generation upon generation of Christians have had to deal with the changing attitudes towards Jesus and his mission to the world. That's been the case here since 1878. I mean, what did those who are sitting where you're sitting now, what did they think about the Scopes monkey trial? You know, how did they react to it? What did the pastor here at the time, I think it was John Westerkamp, what did he say What did he have to preach about the Sunday after the Scopes verdict was given? What will future generations in this church be like and how will they respond to ongoing pressure and apathy and contempt for the Christian church from people in government, their co-workers, and their acquaintances? I wish I could see into the future how it's going to go, but... I can say, whatever happens, we stand together firm in the truth and speak the truth in the gate while we're scolded and despised by the wicked. That's what the church is called to do, to preach the word and baptize those whom the Holy Spirit finds and brings to baptism in the midst of pressure from all around from those who think we're extreme. You know, the church seems to have lost the morality war long ago. I mean, you can't, you can't speak morality or even use the term moral with people. They look at you like, what? What are you talking about? You know, the concept is lost to antiquity. It's been buried with Plato and Aristotle and all those dead Stoics of Western civilization. But then again, Jesus didn't commission Peter with the charge of feeding his lambs and building the church for the purpose of maintaining morality or even bringing it back from the ruins of some golden age. He built the church to demonstrate God's love and mercy to the world. He built his church so that his people can endure and hold fast to the truth till the very end. He built his church so that you would be brought to the waters of baptism and made his child cleansed from all sin, forgiven, restored, and given eternal life. There's no reason for us to agree with the secularists and atheists that our views are damaging or concerning and oppress people and hold them back intellectually and all that. We don't have to agree with them on that. But we can't agree with those who attack the Bible and put pressure on the church that our worldview is extremely different from what they believe. That we can agree with them on. And that's a good thing. When the author and perfecter of our beliefs is himself a very extreme person. Who else but Jesus Christ came to earth from heaven to be born of a virgin? 
Who else but Jesus Christ had the power to disappear from angry mobs and change water into wine and calm storms with just a word? Who else but Jesus Christ was willing to die by crucifixion, descend into hell, and rise to life again to save people? Who else but Jesus Christ is both God and man at the same time? Man, that's pretty extreme when you compare him to the secular view of mankind. No wonder he came under attack by those he came to save. It should not surprise us then that there's so much pressure on the Bible and the church. But faith comes by hearing. By hearing God's word. And some who hear will believe. And join in on this extreme way of life for the Christian. That's one of the reasons why we should never lose hope and rely even more on our Lord who leads us through these ever-changing and often hard times. He's been doing this since the very beginning. And He will always do it because He is faithful to us. Amen.